This podcast is sponsored by Audible.com. To get a free 30-day trial and a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash thelapse today. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Lapse Storytelling Podcast, where we tell true stories gussied up. I'm your host, Kyle Jest, and today we've got a story from George DeYoung, who, even after telling this story, has never, ever actually heard an episode of the show. This is a story about bribery, about extortion, about how, no matter how costly it may be, sometimes you just gotta pay up. I'm calling this one the good guy defense. Here it comes. This is The Lapse. It seemed like slow motion. He flew, and I noticed that he wasn't wearing a helmet. When he came down, he didn't move. I thought he was dead. George has been living in Thailand for about two years. He was on his way to Pai, a small tourist town along Thailand's northern rim. There was no ambulance in the small town, I knew that. The police came and they picked up the guy, they grabbed his arms and legs and they just heaved him into the back of a truck. George doesn't speak Thai. He's originally from Canada. Only one of the policemen, a tourist officer, speaks English. But strangely, nobody questions George about the accident. Instead, they haul him around town, the police station, to the mechanic to get his bike fixed, and then to the hospital to visit the victim. It was horrible. I saw the guy. They wheeled him past me, and his wife was there and crying. It was about maybe an hour since we'd left the scene of the accident. But the officers still aren't done with George. They take him back to the scene of the accident. By then, it was getting dark. There were just police cars everywhere. Before I could get out of the car, a policeman came over, opened the door. I had a small vest pocket on my vest, and he unzipped the zipper, reached in, and he held a a pill in his hand. The cop's English might be poor, but there's one word he manages. Methadone. Or yabba, literally translated, the madness drug. And while George's tie isn't that great, he gets the gist. Where'd you put the stuff? The cop escorts George to the side of the road and motions to a patch of grass. Pick it up. And he pointed to a bag. More pills, more yabba, even a joint for good measure none of which George has ever seen in his life. Another guy come over with a, funny, a Kodak camera. <laughs> you know, the kind that makes an instant picture. The guy took a picture of me with the bag in my hand and that I figured, well, that's it. George sits on the cell's concrete floor. It's been eight hours with no interrogation. I said, is the guy okay? And, uh, The policeman told me he was dead. The interrogation, like a hamster wheel, goes nowhere. It's one big circle, over and over and over. Well, if you admit it, it'll be a lot easier. Most tourists, if they're there for any length of time, they understand that bribes are just a part of life in Thailand. You give them 5,000 baht instead of taking you to the police station. Say, says George, this time to another officer. The victim, the guy on the bike, is he dead? I just sort of sensed that they were lying. This officer shakes his head. No, he's in Chiang Mai, he's in a hospital, and back injuries and all of that. They were lying. The mention of money was never brought up at all, but I knew that that was what they were looking for. 
but being set up with the drugs and all of this, I, it's just like I, I, I just, I never did. George shivers in the morning air. It was about six o'clock in the morning. A policeman took me out to a, a truck. The police truck, which is actually a pickup truck, is bound for Mehong Sung, home to one of the country's largest prisons. That's where George will await trial. Two other passengers await their departure. Must have been in their 60s, 70s, I guess. He can't help but notice their getup, full winter jackets. In northern Thailand, it gets quite cold. I only had a t-shirt on. It was really, really cold. George climbs into the bed of the truck. Towards the front, the cops cuff him to a set of hooks. The drive between Pai and Mehansan is really high. You're going uphill for 200 kilometers. It's like almost straight up at times. While the cuffs keep him from falling out, it's hardly much solace. The hills are so steep, strung up by the wrist, he slips, swinging like a pendulum. Swinging from one side to the other. He tries to use his free hand to brace himself. Because I didn't want to be just hanging by one arm. I ended up losing grip because my hands were cold and my wrist was starting to cut. And I started hollering. Stop! Stop the truck! Finally, they came to a stop sign somewhere. The cop loosens the cuffs, just a ditch. It'll be two more hours before they reach Mayhong, so... George's cell, if you can call it his, is about the size of a master bedroom, minus the bed and shared with 20 other people. His possessions, along with whatever money he had, were confiscated back in Pi. They said something about making sure that there was no speed on the bills or something. Only one of his cellmates, a Swedish man, speaks English. He was there for going on five years. The Swedish man does a tally for him. He says, you had a joint? That's six months, right there. How much yabba did you have on you? If you're seven, you're okay, but if you have eight, it's like you're dealing. George thinks, thinks, thinks. One, two, three, four, five. There were seven in the bag, plus the one in his pocket. There were just enough. Eight. Eight pills. Which means George could be looking at five years. He pleads with the guards for a call home, but either they don't speak English or they're not interested. While the prisoners are allowed to send letters, without any money, he can't afford postage or paper. Even if he could, the postal service out of the prison, let alone overseas, is about as speedy as you would expect. In 10 days, George will stand trial. Until then, he bides his time. I was in the cell where whenever new prisoners came in, they would put them in the cell that we were in. Burmese would often cross the border trying to get into Thailand. So just about every day, there were new prisoners coming in. And every night, I would just hope that there wouldn't be too many because sometimes it would be so packed. I mean, the floor was just covered with people. One of the new transfers, a Korean guy, gets caught with a little weed. And in Korea, you don't do drugs at all, right? I mean, drugs are taboo. So taboo, in fact, the penalty for possession in South Korea is up to five years. For dealing, five to life. They told me he was going to be executed for a joint of marijuana. He believed them. It was just so crazy because he took it so seriously. The guy's so scared he tries to escape, jumps from the second floor, breaks his ankle. On day 10, George stands before the Thai judge. He thinks, I should have expected this. I didn't have a clue what was going on. Nobody could speak English. 
And they kept on asking me to sign things, and I wouldn't. I just wouldn't sign, because I couldn't read it, of course. Every 10 days, George goes to court, can't speak the language, and is told, sign on the dotted line. It's like Groundhog Day. After a while, I started signing things. I didn't have a clue, but every time they'd bring a sheet in and I'd just sign it. After more than a month, George catches a break. A group of Christian missionaries visits the prison. One of them started visiting me on a regular basis, a really nice woman, and her English was excellent. Committing his story to memory, the missionary manages to write an email to George's brother. And uh, finally, they got me a lawyer. The only problem was he was in Chiang Mai, which was 300, 400 kilometers away. It's been nearly 90 days since George has been arrested. By Thai law, he can't delay any longer. He has to stand trial and he has to plead his case. Guilty or not guilty. But it's kind of a joke because everybody in the prison told me that if you plead not guilty, they'll make it really, really tough on you. The lawyer's not really trying to prove that you're innocent, but they're trying to make you look like a, a good person. Court's in session. I have to plead guilty for this. George's lawyer launches into his cross-examination, the good guy defense. So when I said that I had two undergraduate degrees, that was a big plus. The lawyer says, you see, my client must be a good man. Tell me, George, are you also married? I said, well, no. The lawyer puts on his poker face. We had been split up for about 10 years, but he wrote to the judge that I had to get back to Canada because my wife was bipolar. So we made up this big lie, and I was so scared that when I was going before the judge, if anybody would ask me anything in English, I wasn't sure what I was supposed to say. The judge considers this new information, then calls a recess. When they return, George's lawyer has some news. The pill that they found in my pocket was so powerful, that pill alone would have gotten me two years. I, I was really scared at that point. I said, well, you know, t two years for that, possibly five years for the other. But amazingly, the reason for this whole mess, the accident, no charge, so long as George's insurance covers the medical. After an hour, the judge is ready to wrap this up. He needs to know, George DeYoung, how do you plead? So I went up and said guilty, and then he gave me my sentence. And I had no idea what it was. His lawyer sits him down. Congratulations, he says. You're really lucky, you know. Usually they give you at least five years for the yabba, but then he took it down to two years. Oh my God, even two years. I mean, that's better, but I wasn't relieved at all. I mean, three months in a Thai jail, I was just... I just couldn't take anymore. I didn't know what I was going to do. George's lawyer frowns. This isn't the victory that he thought it was. Well, he says, there is another option. If you pay a fine, you can get out. And the fine wasn't that much. It was like maybe $2,500, $3,000. Also, says the lawyer, you're being deported. Ten days later, George's lawyer takes him to the airport. When we were at the airport, he spoke to a guy behind the counter, and then he said to me, give me a thousand baht. And he gave it to the guy, and he said, you can come back to Thailand if you want now, because it's off the record. Mm -hmm. 
bribes are just a part of life there. Like a policeman in Thailand, if they end up getting a few hundred dollars, it's like a few hundred dollars even is, uh, is worth so much there. I think they thought that I had a, a fair bit of money because I was in Thailand a lot. And a lot of Thai people can't afford to take a vacation anywhere. There's just this assumption that you're rich because you're a Westerner. Like I said, most time people will offer a bribe right off the bat. They were probably quite surprised that I didn't. That story again was shared by George DeYoung. Shortly after he returned to Canada, George moved to a cabin in the woods for some quality alone time. He's yet to travel back to Thailand. This is still your first episode, George. Do me a favor. Check out the back catalog. Speaking of favors, please consider contributing to our Patreon campaign. The Lapse is 100% listener supported. Plus, check this out. If you donate to the show, you can get everything from deleted scenes to raw interviews to personal one-on-one storytelling sessions with yours truly. I'll call you up and tell you one, or I can even help workshop yours. Check it out. Patreon.com slash The Lapse. Together, we can keep this show going. As always, pitch me at stories at thelapse.org. Anything and everything, but especially if you've got a spooky pitch or a Halloween pitch, because Halloween is two months away and these things take a while to make. So get in touch. My name is Kyle Jest, and this was The Lapse. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>